the early line. I think all roads lead back to Deshaun Watson. He is a franchise quarterback, and they took one of his weapons away. I agree with you. This is a horrible offseason, in my opinion. And the other part of it is... There's now drama around Bill O'Brien because of what he said is the reasons about this DeAndre Hopkins thing. You know, baby mamas and not being on the same page. That doesn't sound like a good environment. The Sports Grid Network. Game time decisions. Nobody's ever won a lottery before to be a professional athlete. The only time I've ever seen that is on pros versus jokes. Like, nobody yes. in Major League Baseball is there because, well, you know what? I really got lucky and there was like a lottery. I don't understand why you think after somebody has put all this work in their entire life that they're supposed to just, you know, not get paid for it after because you're bored. The Sports Grid Network. The morning after. When you're playing college basketball, you start off the season with closed scrimmages. Um, and these are kind of not open to the public, not open to the media. Um, you're you're wearing practice jerseys and you're just, it's basically like a practice against the other team. Will there be bans for college? Like bans are such a big thing in college sports. It'll kind of feel like a closed scrimmage, like a preseason scrimmage. And I think it's gonna be a challenge. The Sports Grid Network. If you were to go through that list, Giannis, Durant, Curry, Davis, which one do you think would have been the best in Magic and Bird's era? I think LeBron would, would have been the best because he is the best of all those guys. Because also he's the most, you know, physically able to stand up to what that era was. He has the most meat to him, the most physicality to him that he could have survived better like an MJ did. Yeah, but he was going to play for the uh, Cowboys, so he wouldn't have any time to play basketball. The Sports Grid Network. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Fantasy Sports Today here on SportsGrid. Joe Pizapia, Craig Mish, we got you for the next two hours. Follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid, at Craig Mish, at Joe Pizapia17, and stick with us all day long. We got some interesting stuff to get to today. We got some MMA discussion with Mike Alexander. Adam Ronis is going to join us. We'll talk a little NBA as well. And, of course, we'll kick around some football a little bit later with Joe on some potential futures totals and also who will be the best and who will be the worst team in the NFL upcoming this season. So we'll get right to it. Joe, good morning. Great to see you again. What's going on? Great to see you, my friend. I hope you had a good weekend. Hope you're refreshed, ready to kick butt here this morning as we start a new week. Last week, we started a new month. Now it's a new week, and we just continue to give you great content. Look how versatile today. We got basketball. We got UFC. We got football. We got everything. Not not so much baseball, but then again, Gray Albright, you could talk about that on Friday. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll catch up with that on Friday. As the news goes, we'll give it to you as well. Uh, interesting over the weekend that somebody bet a million dollars on the MMA fight uh, with Amanda Nunez on Saturday. I mean, that is staggering to me. And it just goes to show you that even in a pandemic, even with the country struggling, there are still people out there that are willing to throw down seven figures on a bet. And again, to only make 400 or 500 grand if you're laying minus 600, but there are people out there that are crazy, Joe, and they just have this excess income. And, you know, people are just starving to get back into betting and get back into sports wagering. And that was an event that at least provided the opportunity. Lucky for that person, man or woman, they ended up cashing in. 
Well, here's a question, too. Do you think the size of this bet is because we're in a vacuum of sports right now and there isn't a lot going on? Is this the kind of thing you would normally see in UFC levels? I'm just kind of curious. Do you think part of the reason this wager was so large is because some people who are very big into wagering, whether it be professional or otherwise, really don't have a lot of other things they can bet on right now. So if this looks good, is it kind of an all-in mentality when you see something like this on the board? Yeah, I, I I don't know the answer because it would it would come down to the individual, and we very rarely get to know who is betting on what. But it, it's not uncommon in a college or NFL season to see a uh, a six figure bet or even upwards toward a million dollars. I mean, it could be part of that. It could be just somebody really felt certain that Amanda Nunez was going to win, and and listen, she never lost, so it's it's a pretty good bet in terms of that. But what I would say that any bet that you're basically laying six to one odds are one to six, essentially, in this case, mm-hmm. yeah. is uh, you know a little bit risky. But if you feel really good about something, I guess that's the risk you take. I've seen and, and heard about people that'll risk you know $25,000 on a bet to only bring back a grand. And it, and it doesn't make any sense. It's a that horrible idea. That doesn't make idea, any sense to me at all. I don't understand that mentality. That's just, isn't, wouldn't you call that like bad best practices? <laughs> like, what is it's, like, just, it's just basically uh, somebody that has too much money and doesn't know, know what to do with it at that point. I mean, it's the, it's the equivalent of picking the best team in college football against the worst team in college football. And, uh, you know, not 99 times out of 100, you're going to win that bet. But if you made that bet 100 times, you're going to lose it once and lose everything that you won. So, I mean, that's I mean, I guess that's, you know, certainly part of it. But uh, this one, it was the bet came in very late right before the fight. And, um, you know, and, and getting I guess getting Buster a bet. Douglas comes to mind. Like when we're talking about this for me, Craig, like I keep thinking in my head for some reason, you know, I wonder how many people lost money just betting Mike Tyson against Buster Douglas. who was just like some weird tune up fight in the middle between other fights of when he was going to fight Holyfield. And then all of a sudden Buster Douglas showed up and he was in the best shape of his life and knocked out Mike Tyson, who hadn't been training and wasn't prepared. And I wonder how many of those bets existed at those time that kind of went up in smoke basically that night. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not a million, but definitely, you know, I mean, you probably couldn't get I mean, there's no no legal betting in the U.S. outside of Vegas. But, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's certainly one of the bigger upsets. You know, one that always comes to mind for me was that uh, Appalachian State, when they beat Michigan many years ago, that, mm-hmm. you know, that was a game where Michigan was like it was like off the board. There were 35 or 40, 40 point favorites, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there were games in college football where essentially if the line was above 30, it would just be off the board. You couldn't bet it. Now mm-hmm. there is a bet for everything. They'll they'll throw right. Alabama out there minus forty, Clemson minus forty two. Uh, now on those games in particular, you can bet whatever you want on the money line, but the point spread it'll be a circled game, which means there's only about twenty percent of the money that you normally bet you can bet on those games. But they're always available and they're always on the board. But some of the bigger upsets can happen now. Me not being the expert in UFC, I, I this is not one that I could have recommended on Saturday night because <laughs> I, I, I would have not known the certainty of it, and I knew nothing of the other woman that Amanda Nunez was fighting. But uh, needless to say, this person definitely came out with a win, no question about that. Uh, golf is uh, heading back to normalcy, uh, Joe. It looks like we're going to be able to uh, have some of the top PGA Tour players coming up, and uh, as we get closer to really, I think, honing in on the NBA season, it's good to see that golf has its way back, too. And I thought that uh, you know, basically the charity game that they played was entertaining. So we're going to find out how good the actual competitive golf is now. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of golf courses have opened up here in New Jersey where I am the last few weeks. So people are out there on the links already. So it doesn't seem like, uh, obviously, like the natural thing would be to progress to getting PGA Tour back on there. And it's only June. So there's a fair amount left to be had here. 
on the tour. So that's exciting news as well. It's this slow trickle. And I know for some people it's frustrating because they've been waiting so long and they're still waiting for something and we still don't have things. We have sort of ideas of things for the most part coming and we're waiting for them. But look, this is about being safe and it's about being smart. It's about making sure that we're not going backwards. And most importantly, we're not endangering the athletes as well. So hopefully the PGA, or PGA, I'm sure they have a lot of things in place for the golfers to make sure that everything is safe for them to go out there and a lot of other protocols that normally would not have. But, you know, golf being a wide open sport here, uh, I think a little bit safer to play than some other team sports might be. Yeah, and and certainly I think that when you're talking about some of the best players in golf really participating in this, uh, seven of the top ten are going to be in there. Rory McIlroy will be involved, Bruce Kepka, Dustin Johnson. I mean, you're you're really going to get the very best of golf, and it's not. It, it is a very good spectator sport. It's fun to mm-hmm. you know chase your favorite golfer on the golf course. But I think from a television television point of view, we could view this without even having to worry about fans. Very similar to the UFC. Uh, interesting that over the weekend, uh, the 1986 Mets, Joe, your favorite team, was named the greatest team ever. Uh, SNY had this over the weekend. And look, I, I mean, it's fun to, you know, sort of speculate and look back and you can actually simulate these games, too, and see who would end up being the best. But uh, look, the Mets, I mean, they're your favorite team of all time. I don't know if they're the best, but they certainly, I'm sure <laughs> they, that made you happy. They won a lot of games. Uh, I'll say this about the 86 Mets. I mean, there's some other teams out there, you know, like the Yankees that run there with the Jeter years that year. They beat San Diego. I think that was 98, right? The 98 Yankees. Uh, the Mets roster was so incredibly deep. And I, I think what people have a hard time understanding is, yes, did all the careers of Dwight Good and Daryl Strawberry and a lot of these other guys live up to the hype? No, they did not. But for the amount of talent they had on that team, for that window that they had it, it was extraordinary. I mean, one of the great pitching staffs you'll ever see. People forget how good of a pitcher Sid Fernandez was in his prime. Ron Darling, Bob Ojeda came over from Boston. And, of course, you have Dwight Gooden at the top of that rotation. And then the bullpen was very strong. But Keith Hernandez, incredible. Again, the 17 in my Twitter, it's because of Keith. I'm a big Keith guy. Uh, You look, they had defense. They had uh, speed. They had incredible. You know, incredible home run power, too. And then they had emerging stars like Howard Johnson was a guy who had back to back 30, 30 years. I mean, they had and he was not an everyday player. So when you think about the amount of talent on that team, yes. Did they all have Hall of Fame careers? No, with the exception of Gary Carter. That's, I think, the only guy on that team that even sniffed the Hall of Fame and obviously got in a few years ago before his untimely passing. But that is one of the most entertaining teams of all time. And I'll tell you what, in terms of intensity, I don't know if there's a more intense team that I've ever seen play the sport of baseball in my life. Now, you could say they they had a lot of uh, fun as well, and who knows what was going through their systems at the time. But the one thing they always came out on the field is winning, and they were an incredibly talented group of players. And I think they had a refuse-to-lose kind of attitude. You know, I mean, even guys on that team like Kevin Mitchell, who went on to hit 40-something home runs two years later. I mean, they, they just had so many talented players at one point in time. And if you go back and you look at the series they had with Houston, incredible series. Obviously, the series of Boston, incredible. Um, They were really battle-tested, too. They were a team that continued to just show you how good they were. And I don't know about you, but when when you think of who was the best baseball team you ever saw play with your own eyes, is there one for you that comes up and and you go to right away or would put in that category with the 86 Mets? I, I don't know which one in particular. I'd have to, you know, go back and study it. There's a lot of people who feel the 98 team was the best of them all. Win totalized they were, yeah. Yeah, Derek Jeter just did a um, an interview on uh, on Yes that I watched, sort of like a, you know a look back at all of of those uh, Yankee years, and and he basically said while he was in it, it was hard to really recognize which team uh, was the best of them all, 
but essentially he did refer to 98 a lot as just the team that you know, steamrolled teams. It just, it wasn't very close. Well, I mean, just for frame of reference to the second place team in 1986, and this is when the divisions were larger, it was just the East and the West. Uh, the Mets won 108 games that year. The Phillies won 86. So that was the second place team. So they were, they were 22 games above the second place team. And and it's not because those teams weren't good. I mean, the Phillies had a lot of good players on it and the Cubs in those years had some good teams as well. The Cardinals obviously had come off just a world series the year before, uh, but they just basically pounded everybody into submission. And I think what happens is that 86 uh, NLCS really took a lot out of them. That that one game six with Mike Scott looming in game seven that went to extra innings. And I can't remember if it went to 16 innings or 18, whatever it was. But that game took so much out of them, I think, emotionally and physically. And by the time they got to the World Series, I think they came out flat a little bit. And Davey Johnson, of course, that famous story when they got to Boston down 0-2, he said, hey, everybody, take the day off. And come back tomorrow to the ballpark. Everybody just needed a day off and to freshen themselves up a little bit mentally and physically. And then they came back and went two of three and obviously game six. And I'll tell you what, my favorite piece of sports writing ever is that book by Jeff Perlman, How the Bad Guys Won, which is the story of the 86 Mets. And even if you hate the Mets or the 86 Mets particularly, but you love baseball, is a fantastic chronicle of that team, of the characters on that team, and what life is like on and off the field during that era of the 80s in New York, obviously, which was a wild time. But uh, that is one of those special teams, obviously. And look, uh, the only Met team in my lifetime to win a championship that I've ever yeah. seen, they've gotten there a couple of times. So it's special to me. I'm still waiting for that second one. I don't know if I'll ever get it. We'll find out. But at least, you know, I still have that moment. And that team is still so revered here in this area by so many people because for a brief window, they kind of captured New York City, which is not easy because it's always been a Yankee town for the most part. But in the 80s in New York, I can tell you, it was a Mets town for about 84 to about 1990 or so. All right. So uh, coming up later in the show, we're going to mix it all up today. we got a lot of different topics. we got NBA coming up a little bit later with Adam Ronis. we got MMA coming up with Mike Alexander. And of course, for us... Coming up next, it's time to dive into this day in fantasy sports histories and, of course, our fantasy sports birthdays, something that you guys can never get enough of. So we'll cover that next year on the show. For those of you who are watching live, cool. If you're watching on demand, make sure you like and subscribe to our show on YouTube. If you wouldn't mind, set your notifications to on and put a little comment in the comments because I go back and I read some of those. If you give me a good one, I may read it out. Stay on the grid. Joe and I are right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. It's June the 8th, 2020. Of course, we're about to take our look back at the really best days in sports history. They are not these days, but the best days on June 8th in sports history. Anything that you could look at over the weekend, Joe, and say that you'll look back on and say, wow, that was a memorable weekend for me in the future. Anything happen this weekend? For me or in sports? <laughs> I'll take either. Uh, 
memorable, no, but you know, not every weekend's going to be memorable in life. Uh, I'm just, I'm just grateful the pool got over 75 degrees finally. That was, that was a nice turn. Again, this is not Florida up here where I am, where you know, you go outside, you want to go swim in the pool, and you know, it's it's already 85 degrees out in the pool by nine o'clock in the morning. Not the case in New Jersey. You gotta, you gotta wait it out. You gotta pick your spots. So we're moving forward. But I did christen the new grill. So I guess that is something. Okay, I know we were talking about that on the weekend sure. edition, firing that up. So that is a positive there. And uh, yeah, I, like I said, not every weekend has to be memorable, but every show is memorable with you that I get to spend this quality time. It's really it's something to me. It's something special. We were looking for that show. We're I know. It's really, it's really emotional, but I'll try to go on the rest of the show. Yeah, a stellar weekend of not much for me. So. <laughs> I imagine, right? Look, I mean, at this point, it's it's this is what happened. But wouldn't this be June anyway? I mean, the kids are basically done with school. Everything's kind of just floating oh, around. I'd be out doing something, though. I mean, well, you would be out at a Marlins game, most likely. Or That's go to dinner or something. Yeah. How much do you miss the ballpark? Like, you seem like a ballpark guy. You yeah, miss the I mean, ballpark. I, I, miss, I miss. I miss it all a lot. Yeah. There's. I mean, it's. It's. It's difficult. There's no. I mean, look. It's. It's not the same in September as it is in April, May, June, July. This is all I. In March, it's all I do. Well, March Madness too. The NCAA tournament's big, but mm-hmm. um, March, April, May, June, July, and really even in August. Um, you listen. If your if your baseball team in reality is not competitive, there's not a lot to root for in August and September. But <laughs> but if your team is, and even in your fantasy team is, I'll run I'll run all the way through, and certainly a lot of people count on me for Marlins news even uh, in September uh, when when football sort of starts up at that point. But right, um, yeah, I mean it's it's been very difficult, and the, and one of the things that I've talked about, I, I did a podcast the other day with some guys, and they asked me what the toughest part about it was was seeing my son get so into. Uh, major league baseball mm. and watch so many of these u- videos and youtube and being like i mean i without my prodding like he is just completely 24 7 on this stuff now and playing the games and paying attention and mm-hmm. wanting to know more and having and having it at a time where there's nothing live like it's that's just, that, tough. that's yeah it's that's just really like, tough especially because like for you that's got to make you just feel you know, really as a father who loves baseball, just, it's you know, tough. really enthused and then not be able to sit and like, take him to the game or to sit at night and watch the ball game with him. Or, yeah, so, we I mean, went to Sunday. Because you're not the we average baseball dad. You know, the average baseball dad doesn't cover the Marlins for God's sake. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's that element to, element to it where I wish that I had that to be able to provide him with. At the very least, I used to t- I we went to probably like 10 Sunday games uh, last year, but I even think that his awareness now of what's going on is even more so. But the one good thing about this whole thing is that uh, he has not, like, asked me constantly, like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Like, it's been none of that. So that's been the best part of it is just kind of, like, looking back at history and going through some of the best players. And he's playing a couple of different uh, games online and things like that. So, you know, hopefully hopefully that will be the case. Uh, but if not, then we'll be right back at it in February of next year. So we'll see what happens this week, I'm sure. All right, so this day in fantasy sports history, let's start off with baseball. 1978, the Braves take Bob Horner with the first overall pick in the draft. And I would say that although he didn't get into the Hall of Fame, Joe, Horner had a very good career, all-star, four home runs in one game. And, uh, you know, the Braves have to look back on this pick and say it was very successful. Yeah, Bob Horner had a window there where he was a pretty feared hitter in the middle of that order. I always think of him and Dale Murphy together. And Dale Murphy's another one of those players that, you know, back-to-back MVPs, I feel like Dale Murphy does not get enough credit of how good of a player he was. He gets he was, none. 
He yeah. gets zero. And you know what? That's another guy, too, that I think those committees, the veterans or whatever, the historical legendary veteran, whatever the hell they want to call themselves now, I think they need to get back and go a little investigating on Dale Murphy, a very good defensive player early in his career as well. But him and Bob Horner, man, I remember those two guys. I remember the four home run game. I also remember the curly Goldilocks-esque mane of Bob Horner that could barely fit sometimes under the helmet. And uh, it was it was quite a stunning look there for him. Also, I was just kind of, you know, browsing around some stats there. He was listed in his baseball card at 215. I think that's I think that's a little inaccurate. Just just putting it out there. <laughs> like Bob right. Horner was a bigger guy than 215. I'm Bob, just if you're watching, his name Bob. is Joe, Joe Pizzapia. Bob, you and me both. No, come on. I'm fit fat. It's all right. Don't worry about it. I'm telling you right now, 6'1", 215. I don't know, Bob. I love you, but come on. I think Bob would embrace that knowing Bob like I know Bob, and I know Bob. Okay, there you go. Uh, 1985, Chris Everett beat Martina Navratilova at the French Open. And, uh, you know, once upon a time we were talking about documentaries that we would like to see. I don't know if they've done one on these two. But, man, these two had battles through the years. Martina, uh, they ended up playing, I think, 80 times, if I'm not mistaken. And Martina uh, beat Chris Everett 43 uh, to 37 was the final score between the two of them. And that just tells you that this was super competitive for a long time. And Everett uh, was at the top of her game. Martina was at the top of her game. One of the great rivalries all time in sports that never gets mentioned. I think You know, they... They did, actually. They actually did do it. Well, there you go. I missed it. So You you missed it. Uh, It was early on in the 30 for 30s. I want to say it was the very first season of the 30 for 30s, if memory serves. Like I said, I'm kind of a – I'm an easy mark for the sports docs, and I think the 30 for 30 series has really been, you know, the crown jewel of ESPN the last few years. Uh, But – for, yeah, I actually even watched that one, and it was about that rivalry of the two of them, and it is it is quite good. And those these were, I mean, as far as tennis goes, especially female tennis, I mean, I mean, women's tennis, does it get better than that rivalry? Probably not. I mean, uh, I mean, I wish that uh, one of them had been in their prime or both of them in around time is, is Serena Williams, because then we'd really get something good, <laughs> you know, get all of them For together. Sure. But uh, my money's still on Serena in that one, but still, I mean, I think that's the only thing when you look back at Serena Williams' career is she didn't have that Chris Everett or that Martina Navratilova person that was, you know, she dominated the field, but she didn't have that great rival, Nadal and Federer, you know, we have McEnroe yeah. and uh, Jimmy Connors. Like, there's so many of them in tennis, but I can't match one on Serena, really, unfortunately. No, I mean, Sharapova was really the only one, but— I was so short. That was like two years, I, mean, I feel uh, like. I mean, her sister was a really good competitor, too, For but a every short time, time they— but when they played each other, the matches were horrible. They didn't want to play against each other, so they yeah. dogged them. I mean, you could mm-hmm. clearly see they never wanted to play each other. So yeah. uh, they had that kind of relationship. And, and in fact, Venus beat Serena one time where people think that, oh, she probably shouldn't have won. But all right, uh, 1991, Mark Gastineau uh, from Gang Green wins his first boxing match in 12 seconds. He went on to have an amazing boxing career. No, not really, but at least he <laughs> won his first match in 12 seconds. I'm sure they just set up some sort of mark to go down against him at that time. But I saw this day in history, and I'm like, yeah, I actually remember when Gastineau was a boxer. I do, I do too. It was a short period of time. I mean, you know, <laughs> man, Gastineau was another guy, a huge star in the 80s in New York for a, a window all those guys in the 80s, they kind of burned out. <laughs> they didn't really fade away. And, uh, of course, probably one of the beginning guys of the celebrity boxing wing where we get to see amazing things like, uh, you know, Todd Bridges and Vanilla Ice or Minute Bowl against Refrigerator Perry and some weird things that we've seen in celebrity boxing over the years. So I think Gassineau, uh kind of brought that <laughs> that crossover of, hey, 
maybe maybe we should get some celebrities and have them fight each other. Then we can make some money on that. Tanya Harding, another one that went out there and did that. But uh, man, Gassino for a couple of years there, him and Joe Klecko, that New York Sack Exchange. I remember just as a kid when I first started watching football, how how popular that group was. And uh, man, you know, Gassino, another career did not last very long, unfortunately. No. All right, 2015, we got the draft coming up Wednesday night. So let's dive back to 2015. The Diamondbacks select Dansby Swanson, number one overall. And remember, at the time, Swanson is supposed to be like this Nomar Garcia Parra game changing shortstop. And then Tony LaRussa and Dave Stewart trade him to Atlanta. And the world is jumping up and down, saying it's the worst trade of all time. And, uh, and, and Stewart gets fired, and uh, Tony LaRussa gets fired. And they get Shelby Miller. It turns out to be nothing. And guess what? Dansby Swanson is okay, but boy, that's her. Nobody won. Bad. Nobody won that trade. Everybody. But, but lost. that was the but the, but a good example of a trade that the complete reaction was just like, wow, what a terrible trade. These well, guys it's the same reaction I think people had when Scott Kazmir got dealt for Delta for Victor Zambrano, which is it wasn't like, oh my God, Victor Zambrano, who wasn't very good. It was oh my God, we could have gotten more. And I think that was the whole thing. Is like, why would you trade what you took as your number one overall pick in baseball, a guy you think would be a superstar, for Shelby Miller, who at the time looked like he was in great decline, had some injury issues. That was that was the mentality. It was not so much the player, so much as the principal. And same thing with DeAndre Hopkins in football. Sometimes like people make trades that are just, DeAndre Hopkins is worth more than what you got for, and that's always that's the mark of a bad trade, and that's why they unfortunately all swung for it. But in hindsight, but in the end, it was not a bad trade. <laughs> all right, uh, we're not as bad as we thought. I was say, maybe in hindsight, it wasn't a good trade for anybody. How's that? <laughs> it was. It wasn't. They didn't do a good job, but it wasn't a disaster. We spent. No, weeks it off. wasn't. 2018, the Warriors sweep the Cavs 4-0 to win the NBA championship. And, of course, the Warriors' uh, end has uh, run has come to an end, clearly. All right, this day in fantasy sports birthdays, let's go over to June the 8th. And we uh, don't have a star-studded list here, so we could run right through this. 1962, John Gibbons, former big league player and, of course, manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. 1970, the head of the NFL uh, PA, uh, Troy, uh, or is he the is he the head of the NFL PA or the owner or the, on the owner side? Is he? I think he's is he on the union side. I was uh, I sure actually I, I have to look about that. I, I will a, look I think, as you go through. Uh, yeah, we got to check that. 1970, uh, Troy Vincent, great cornerback with the Miami Dolphins and uh, Philadelphia Eagles as well. 1973, an old. Uh, a schoolmate of Joe Ranieri, big country Bryant Reeves at Oklahoma State, was thought to be one of the great big men in the NBA, did not quite work out. And they were going back-to-back tennis here, ironically. Lindsey mm. Davenport, former number one in the world, and uh, many Grand Slam champions for Kim Kleisters, who uh, was born in 1983. And that caps off our birthdays for June the 8th. On- uh, president of the NFLPA from 2004 to 2008. He was replaced by Kevin Mawai. So there you have it on Troy Vincent. Former NFL PA president. And That's great, right. Great and, guy. Very well liked guy. to tie it all back to the first segment, John Gibbons, a member of the 86 Mets. People forget that. I know Ed true. Hearn was the, the guy that took over, but, you know, John Gibbons had a few games catching for the Mets, too. And he was a pretty good manager for a while. He was one of those guys. Think about all the managers came out of that team, too. You think about uh, Clint Hurdle. You think about John Gibbons. You think about some of those guys. Roger McDowell became a pitching coach. A lot of these guys, Mookie Wilson was a first base coach for years. So many of them went into coaching from that team, which is ironic because so many of them were bad influences. (laughs) He said it, not me. Uh, Coming up next, another bad influence on the show. Adam Ronis, the ponytailed one, is going to join us coming up next. We're going to dive into all of the potential playoff scenarios in the NBA, fantasy, reality, sports wagering. We're going to cover it next. 
Stay on Sports Grid. This is Fantasy Sports Today. We're back in just two minutes talking NBA, long shots, favorites, and odds. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today and joining us now here on the show to break down a little NBA, find out what his thoughts are on the NBA coming back. Training camps are going to open up in about a month from now. And then, of course, we're going to have the end of the regular season on July 31st to break it all down. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Ronis. And, of course, uh, head on over to Fantasy Alarm to catch all of his analysis as it pertains to the fantasy end of the NBA. And also, of course, dabbles in with quite a bit of wagering as well. Adam Bronis joins us here on the show. I know, Adam, normally we talk uh, baseball. You and I have been doing baseball shows for 10 years. Hopefully we'll be able to talk baseball soon, but for now the NBA is the focus. Yeah, definitely glad that it's back. We knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of what the exact plan would be. And I've always said this about all the sports trying to come back. There's no perfect plan. People are going to be upset. They're not going to like certain aspects of it. I think for the most part, the reaction that I've seen, most people are fine with this. It gives an opportunity to some of those teams in the Western Conference that were within striking distance, you know, three and a half games back for Portland, Sacramento, and the Pelicans. And obviously the Pelicans are a team that, a lot of excitement. You know, the Zion Williamson missed the first couple months of the season. He came back. They were a different team. So I think the NBA felt like that team is compelling. And of course, you heard comments from Damian Lillard a couple weeks back, which I agreed with, where he said, hey, if we have no shot, I'm not going to play. And it's the same thing as if a team gets mathematically eliminated and they rest their stars. And I know Lillard probably got criticized for it, but you know, I didn't blame him. I'm sure they're happy about this now. It gives them an opportunity. So I'm just glad that it will be back. Let's hope that we have no setbacks. Everything goes smoothly and we can crown a champion. All right, so let's break down first the back end, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about the front end of the NBA playoffs. Uh, you mentioned the Pelicans; uh, they provide must-see TV probably for the time being. Um, you know, and obviously at this point, uh, they are three and a half games back of the playoffs. The only reason why is because Zion wasn't with them for the whole season, uh, averaging 23 and a half points a game, shooting almost 60% from the field. And uh, let, let's talk about him for a minute and, and sort of what he has brought since he's been back with the Pelicans and then move on over to Brandon Ingram, who in his absence was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, Williamson has been great. You know, I think some people weren't sure what to expect coming off the long layoff. They obviously made sure he was completely healthy before he came back. His first few games, he was on a minutes limit and still from a fantasy perspective and actual NBA perspective was producing. He obviously takes a lot of shots close in and, you know, he's, provided a spark for that team. You know, they were playing pretty well, uh, but obviously he gave them a different dimension. You know, they're a team that's very explosive offensively. They could put up a ton of points. Not great defensively, though, but Williamson is a draw. They had a lot of nationally televised games. 
And actually, before the stoppage of play, I think the Pelicans actually were the favorite to win the eighth seed only because Memphis had a really tough schedule. The Pelicans had an easier schedule. Obviously, that's going to change. We don't know the specifics of the schedule yet. It seems like they're going to pick up where they left off. And obviously, if you have teams that were left out, like Golden State, Charlotte, you know, you just skip to the next game. So that probably hurts the Pelicans a little bit because I think they had a pretty favorable schedule. But they're a really fun team. Brandon Ingram, you talked about, that guy has really improved this year. I think there were a lot of questions about him coming over from the Lakers. Uh, his three-point shooting percentage, way better. The guy averages more than two threes per game this year. He was under one the last few years. His free throw shooting has improved in a big way. He became a go-to scorer for that team. He's taken a little bit of a hit with Williamson back, uh, but still has put up really good numbers. And he's in the running for most improved player of the year. I would personally give it to Bam Adebayo. But if someone wants to argue for Brandon Ingram, it's hard to go against that because he's been great this year. And I think the Pelicans are the sexy team. That's who people want to see get in the playoffs. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, Memphis, if they do pick up exactly where they left off with those eight games, as you mentioned, they have the toughest schedule remaining in the NBA. So that potentially could open up for New Orleans. Let's also talk about Portland. I'm not sure why uh, they were the one team that didn't want this format. I don't really understand the whole reasoning behind it, Adam. Maybe uh, they didn't like the remaining schedule for their games. I'm not really sure. That never came out. But uh, Damian Lillard, as you mentioned, he's going to get a chance to play. They're three and a half games back. Uh, you know, simply put, just like uh, the Pelicans. So, you know, the season that he's having is fantastic in the West. Do you give Portland a fighter's chance, too? It seems to me that Memphis is no sure thing with eight games to get in. Well, Portland uh, reportedly didn't want it because they wanted 20 teams instead of 22. Because obviously less of uh, teams remaining for them to get past. So that's why. And they expressed that to ownership. And C.J. McCollum came out and said, we appreciate ownership listening to the players. I think Portland is a dangerous team. Everyone's talking about the Pelicans. To me, if I'm the Lakers, I do not want to see the Blazers in the playoffs. They have Damian Lillard, one of the best players in the NBA. To me, when the NBA playoffs, I want to see the best players. I know Zion Williamson is good, but Damian Lillard is clutch. He has a 61-point game this year, a 60-point game. This team made the Western Conference Finals last year. They've had injuries this year. Yusuf Nurkic has yet to play. He was going to come back right around when play stopped. So he'll be good to go. They'll get Zach Collins back. So they get two big men that they had. Now, Hassan Whiteside has had a great year. Uh, so Nurkic might not play as many minutes. But the backcourt of Lillard and McCollum is dynamic. And to me, that's the team I want to see. Everyone's saying the Pelicans. I get it. They're fun. They're young. But the Blazers, to me, are the team that can make uh, some noise. Now, clearly, they have to, you know, well, here's the thing, though. It's winning percentage. And remember, not every team has right. played the same amount of games. And right now, the Blazers, I believe, are 439 uh, for winning percentage, and the Pelicans and Kings are 438. So the Blazers have a little bit of an advantage here because they need those two teams to do better than them. If they all finish with the same record, they all go 4-4 four and four or whatever, Portland, if they're within four, gets that playing game. Now they would have to beat Memphis, assuming they hold on to the 8 seed twice. But to me, Damian Lillard in a clutch spot, we have seen it time and time again. That is the team that I think is dangerous. And if I'm the Lakers, I do not want to see Portland get the eight seed. I'd rather face the Pelicans. They're a younger team. They're more inexperienced. And the Lakers have beaten the Pelicans twice in the last, like, five, six games. Not that it matters, because this long this long layoff, we can sit here and say what we, we have no idea what's going to no, happen. No. Because there's no home court. There's so many things here that we don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, we know in the East that the Wizards are on the outside looking in, and uh, Bradley Beal was the subject of a lot of trade talks right before the season began. He ended up staying in Washington, who knows for how long. 
Uh, but at the very least, the Wizards do have a chance. If they lose, I would guess, Adam, right out of the box in this eight-game deal, they're probably going to be eliminated pretty quickly. Uh, but Beal is having a career year. I know for fantasy, he was he was huge for a lot of people. Uh, does Washington stand a chance here? And what about Beal's season? They have a, a slight chance. I think I saw their playoff odds are plus 900. So it's not a crazy bet. I wouldn't put a lot on that. But if you want to throw down a little bit, it's not absurd. Uh, you know, Orlando has been terrible against teams above 500 this year. Uh, the Nets haven't been great either. Kevin Durant has already said he's not returning. I know people were looking at those playoff odds and the Nets went up substantially. Right. I mean, obviously the books were trying to protect about that in case Durant yeah. did come back. We don't know about Kyrie Irving. Um, so the Nets, you know, I think they're, I think they play, um, I think they play the Magic twice. Well, again, the schedule's not official, but you know, once that comes down, we could look at it more. So maybe there's an avenue. I don't think so. I mean, the Wizards are, you know, not that good. Uh, they are not one of the best defensive teams. They've been playing a little bit better before the break. They score a ton of points. They play at a high pace. Beatles had a great year. I'm thankful that he came back. He was a little banged up, and I was worried about the Wizards getting eliminated because I had Beal. Uh, one of my season-long teams head-to-head -head, where I took him at the end of the first round on the turn. Uh, but Beal's been great this year. I believe he's second in the NBA in scoring points per game and, uh, you know, just really carried that Wizards team to put them in position to at least get this opportunity here to fight for an Eastern Conference playoff spot. Yeah, and season-long fantasy leagues, I don't, I don't know how that you could possibly operate with a bunch of teams, you know, simply just not playing and being done. Uh, by the way, on that subject, it, was there a player or two that you'll miss not seeing, uh, you know, play for the rest of the season. I know that I've talked about Trey Young, Adam, as the one player that I think really shined this year in a big way. But, you know, we're not going to have a chance to see him. Is there anyone else out there that you'll regret having an end to the season with? Yeah, that would be the guy, Trey Young. He was definitely exciting to watch play. Obviously missed a lot of shots, uh, but sure. still he was dynamic, could hit shots from long range. Uh, you know, it, it is unfortunate, and I want to see how people, you know, obviously reward their season-long leads. I think at Roto Leagues, it's pretty simple. You know, you just pay out whoever finished first, second, or third. It's the head-to-head -head where it's more complicated, especially if you have a lot of teams get in. So hopefully commissioners come up with a viable plan to pay out. That's This is where you have to have a trustworthy commissioner. Absolutely. Because yeah, and we know in certain sports, the commissioners don't really have to do much. It's basically organizing the draft, collecting the money. This is definitely an unforeseen circumstance. Uh, I've heard some people say, well, you just give everyone money back. No way, man. We've played most of the season. I mean, again, a lot of head-to-head -head leagues, That when play was stopped, that was the last week of the regular season. So I think you just uh, pay out as is and come up with a viable plan. Yeah, I mean, baseball, you give your money back if, if you did a league, I think. But uh, beyond that, you're right. In, in basketball, when you play 80% of the season or 75% of the season, I think that that's fair. Uh, the NBA, the only reason why they're playing the, the rest of these games is to get the TV money. I mean, literally, that's the only reason why they're doing it. They came to an agreement instead of 12 to do eight, and so they can get paid, and then they'll, they'll play their playoffs in Orlando. Okay, speaking of the playoffs, look, the back-end team, certainly you never know. A team can go from the eight seed and beat the one or the seven beat the two. It happens. But uh, let's get real here. Some of the best players and some of the best teams in the NBA are going to be gearing up for the championship. And we know the Warriors are not going to be involved in it. So who has the best odds right now to win the NBA championship? Are there any potential sleepers out there? Uh, anything that we're going to touch on, we're going to do it next. And we're also going to talk about the phenomenon uh, of Luka, uh, who has really this year probably been the most popular player in the NBA, not named LeBron James, and how far can he potentially get his team 
in the NBA playoffs. Make sure you follow Adam Ronis on Twitter, at Adam Ronis, and all of his work over at Fantasy Alarm as he covers everything from the uh, season long to the DFS to even a little bit of sports wagering over for their website. So make sure you catch him there. Adam will be back with me for another segment. We'll do that coming up next as we dive into all of the potential NBA champions and the odds at the FanDuel Sportsbook. You're watching Fantasy Sports Today right here on SportsGrid. We're back after this two-minute timeout with Adam Ronis from Fantasy Alarm. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Fantasy Sports today. Adam Rohn is kind enough to stick around for another fantasy segment. We're going to hit on some of the odds in the NBA, teams to win the NBA Finals, and also uh, some of the long shot odds is potentially we wait for baseball and football. Adam, the good news is, is that I know that you're a huge NBA fan, and so a month from now you'll have training camp to discuss, and then, of course, at the end of the month you'll actually have some regular games. That must feel good. I mean, for me, it's been brutal not having anything. It's very tough. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been brutal for me, too. I mean, I'm trying to trying to look at some of these other sports. I watched a little MMA over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I put some money down on NASCAR a couple weeks ago. I don't know what the hell is going on. So uh, I don't know how I've survived. If you would have told me, you know, three months without baseball, basketball, football, because those are the main sports. Sure. Because you know me, man. I, I schedule everything I do around this. Like, I eat, breathe. This is my life. I know it's my career, but I love it outside. If I wasn't doing this, I would still be watching sports uh, almost as much as I do now. So for me, I still am unsure how I've been able to survive this long. So at least I know that the NBA games will be returning and it should be fun. You know, we could get games, you know, all day, uh, you know, that's yeah, it's eerie. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't know what other choice there is. They are, they're all playing in the same arena, right? Three different arenas they have down oh, there. Oh, they so are in just, Orlando? They yeah. have that there? I didn't realize That's that. what I read. Yeah, I have no idea. I've never been there. You would know better than me, but I read that they have three different arenas that they'll be playing in, and eventually, obviously, as they get into the playoffs, it'll go down to one. Yeah, yeah. And, and listen, who knows? I, I think the NBA should obviously reserve the right to play a finals in the home courts and, and even have tickets and people there, if it's a possibility. And so, I mean, it's still two, three months away from happening. So there's still a lot that can happen. And by the way, they could derail the season, too. We just have no idea. But let's stay positive here with this, uh, and let's take a look real quick at the odds to win the NBA Finals in 2020. And here they are. The Milwaukee Bucks are plus 240, Adam. The Lakers are plus 260. So clearly, uh, you know, FanDuel is telling you there's a chance it's one of those two teams, but we can never forget about Kawhi Leonard, the sleeping giant with the Clippers. I would guess he'll play every game now down the stretch and into the playoffs. And so uh, he was, I mean, he wasn't a one-man show in Toronto. I don't want to say that, but let's be honest. He carried them to a title, no doubt. And then the Rockets, uh, a little bit of a deeper uh, 13 to one odds here in terms of winning. But I mean, essentially, would you take one of the top three, Adam, in terms of the chalk Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, or 
Uh, and we'll we'll get to some longer odds in a minute, but I have the Rockets here listed. Should I even have them here, or is it sort of a waste? Yeah, I don't think they should be that high. I'm a little surprised that they're fourth, but I'm going to stick with the team that I thought all year and that I put money down back in January. And for me, it's the Clippers. You know, I know that they don't have the record the Lakers do, but I don't think the Clippers have really looked at this regular season as a big deal. I think the Lakers clearly have taken it more seriously. They are were pushing for the one seed in home court. The Clippers and Lakers have played three times. Clippers have won two of them. The other thing with the Clippers is they've barely had their entire starting lineup healthy uh, for games this year. I might be like five or six. Paul George has missed a lot of time. And even before we got cut short, he was dealing with some injuries. As you mentioned with Kawhi Leonard, he was sitting out a lot of back-to-backs. This team is deep. I mean, Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell coming off the bench. They added Marcus Morris. I mean, they're just a really deep team. They have the playoff uh, experience. Go-to guy with Kawhi Leonard. They have Paul George. They just have so many different ways to beat you. Uh, Patrick Beverly is a defensive gnat. He can shut guys down. So I've thought all year that they're the best team. Uh, The regular season, again, I just don't think they looked at it as a big deal. We've seen teams do that before. The Spurs were a team in the past where "Eh, regular season not a big deal. We'll be the four, we'll be the five, we'll be the six. We'll find a way uh, to make it to the finals, and they've done that in the past. I think the Clippers are that team. Uh, The Lakers, they're dangerous, though, man. I I hate betting against LeBron James. Hard to go against him, Adam. That's my point, too. Yeah, Yeah, I'm scared because of that because – We've seen what he can do. Because you look at this Lakers roster on paper, I don't know how they've been this dominant this year. I thought they'd be very good, but I'm stunned that they're they're the one seed in the West. I really am. Because there's not much here. I mean, Dwight Howard's played very well. Uh, one of his best seasons in a while. Javon McGee has contributed. Kuzman's been solid off the bench. What they're going to need, Anthony Davis has stayed healthy outside of a stretch where he hurt his tailbone. And that's the biggest thing. And I wonder how much of that is the mentality of LeBron James rubbing off on Anthony Davis because Davis used to sit out for like everything sure. and you know, he's, he's toughened that out and, and had a great year. So you have those two guys. So you got the two uh, big guys, the go-to guys, the key is, you know, they're going to need Danny green to hit shots uh, one game. And he has done it before. He has the championship pedigree with the Spurs. Then they're going to need Kuzma. They're going to need a big game for Rondo. So they could potentially get it. Although, you know, they probably would have had, say they made the Western conference finals. They would have had essentially seven games at home if they played the Clippers. You know, most of the crowd would have been, I would think, for the Clipper games, maybe 60-40 in favor of the Lakers. So that's an advantage that they lose. I think the time off does help LeBron a little bit because that was one of my concerns was all those minutes he played. The guy did not rest. He was playing a ton of minutes. And, you know, you you were worried about that. I would think he stays in great shape. I think it helps Anthony Davis. But I think it helped the time off also helps the Clippers as well. But I I think as NBA fans, we need a Clippers-Lakers final. We have to get that. Lakers have to go far, for sure. Yeah, the only worry for me with the Lakers is if the Blazers get hot and get in. I would would still take the Lakers, but that would be the team I don't want to see from the Lakers. I don't want to see Damian Lillard in the first round. Yeah, I mean, so much motivation for LeBron. You would think that there's none at this point, but with everything happening in the country and and having a documentary on Jordan and him jumping and commenting on all these things, like, I, I... I would hate to go against him in this spot. In a regular spot, I don't know. I may side with you on the Clippers, but you know about uh, more about this than I do for sure. So uh, Adam says uh, possibility there on the uh, on the Clippers is who he's bet on. All right, so now in terms of a long shot uh, beyond Houston, let's take a look at, at what we have here. And I'm not going outside of 27 to 1, Adam. There are 50 and 100 to 1s, but I, I looked at them, and maybe it's just me, but they don't seem realistic. Uh, Celtics 20 to 1, Raptors 24 to 1, Nuggets 25 to 1, 
the Heat 27 to 1, 76ers 27 to 1. Uh, let's say you're a hundred dollar better. Um, you know, you're not going to put a hundred on odds like this. You're going to take 10, 20 bucks at them. You're going to get out your dart. You're going to throw it. Who are you throwing 10 bucks on here just on a whim? Uh, there are two teams I would consider, but the, if you're giving me one, I'm going to go with the Celtics. Uh, I think you got to go with an Eastern conference team. I think it's tougher to come out of the West because you're probably going to have to beat LA, you know, the two LA teams potentially twice, uh, right. depending on where you're seated. Uh, but the Celtics, you got a good coach in Brad Stevens, and they got a lot of good players. You know, Kemba Walker, uh, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum's had a great year, Jalen Brown. So they're a really good team, and I think, you know, they can give Milwaukee some trouble. We've seen a couple times this year, you know, if you kind of just play really good defense on Giannis and force them to take tough shots, uh, Milwaukee can struggle. We haven't seen it very often, but we have seen it at times this year. Uh, and I think, you know, the Eastern Conference team is the way to go. And, you know, you could always, like, say Boston does get to the Eastern Conference Finals, you could always hedge that bet by going on the other side That's as well. Too. Yeah. yeah. So, for me, yeah. it's Boston. Philadelphia is just, I can't figure this team out. They are 29-2 and at home and 10-24 and on the road. And that they've lost. good for this. <laughs> well, I don't know, because is this is this a road game? They're not. I like, don't know what it is. Yeah, they're not traveling. OK, so maybe that's the issue. Now, the other issue is it could be team chemistry. And now you're in a close quarters, close together, same hotel. Um, I don't know what it is. Now, Ben Simmons was banged up before the stoppage of play. He'll be good to go. Joel Embiid, when he is healthy, he's very tough to guard. I mean, he's kind of unstoppable. I think it's team chemistry, but they have a lot of talent here right now. They're the six seed, but they could easily move up. But that's the thing. 10 and 24 on the road is just mind boggling. And it's tough to figure out what is wrong with this team on the road. But they are one team this year that really dominated Milwaukee. Now, I came all the way back on Christmas. It was a long time ago. But we've seen stretches where this team looks good. But I point out one of their last games before the break, they lost to the Warriors in Golden State. No Steph Curry, no Draymond. They played no one. Like, you're battling for seeding. How do you lose that game? And they lost to Atlanta on the road. So they lost a lot of bad games on the road. So I don't know if this is a road game or not. There's really no home court. Is it the crowd? Is it team chemistry? But Philadelphia, they can put things together. They certainly have the talent. A lot of people thought before the year they were going to go to the Eastern Conference Finals or be one of the top two, top three seeds. And they're currently the six. So 27 to one, I take a shot. But uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions. I don't know why they're this bad on the road. Maybe, maybe, take also, the 10 extra, maybe take the 10 extra dollars and put it on the Clippers instead of any of these teams. That's the yeah. summary. The one thing with Boston, too, the other note, they are one of three teams in the NBA that are top five in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. The other two teams, the Lakers and the Bucks. So that's good company. That's also why I like Boston. Yeah. All you got to do is get there, and then if something happens, um, you know, you never know. Uh, uh, listen, the, the season has also been a lot about Luca, and, you know, certainly I want to get into him here a little bit because, uh, you know, I remember texting you four months ago, like, who is this guy and where has he come from? I don't get it. Like how, I mean, in the history of the NBA, there's always players that take that huge jump. I think from a historical perspective, uh, Luca has jumped as high as any player ever has in the history of the league. I mean, he's up to 28, you know, almost 30 points a game, nine rebounds a game, 8.7 assists per game. I mean, this guy could average a triple-double next year if all breaks right. They're 36-1 to 1 to win the NBA championship. I think it would be good for the NBA to have this guy win a round. I just don't see it being possible. Do you? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be really difficult the way it's set up right now. They would face the Clippers in the first round. And I just, you know, like I said, I think the Clippers are the best team in the NBA. Uh, so what you would hope is that they at least can win a few games in this. Yeah, Luka's been dynamite this year, man. I mean, triple doubles. Remember, he was doing this for a period without Chris Depp's Porzingis. Uh, there's times he's played hurt and still produced. Uh, just a fun player to watch. And that's why I think the NBA is in such a good product and good shape right now with so many young players. We talked about Zion Williamson and Trey Young. But Luka obviously is prime among them. He's actually also one of the guys for uh, most improved player, which, I mean, he was good. I mean, he was very good last year. I mean, yeah, he's made a huge leap. I just, I, I can't see him winning that award. But uh, yeah, he's been great this year. I mean, for DFS purposes, I mean, there were nights where we're talking about, well, he's 11K. Well, if he's going to play 35 minutes, <laughs> you're gonna he's pay producing, it. man. So, you know, if you you got to pay up for a high player, and especially when Porzingis was out, yeah, pay for him. You know, it was a, it was very, very rare that he disappointed. In a season-long league for next year, is he a top five pick? Yeah, Def, I think so. I haven't really thought about it yet, but yeah, I think, yeah, you got him, man. I mean, with what he's done this year, like you said, close to a triple-double, um, 46% from the field. Uh, 75% from the free throw line. You know, you obviously would like to see that get to, you know, 80, but 75 is sure. not a killer. It's just, he does so much in all the other categories. Yeah. Well, uh, Adam, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. We can catch all of your work, of course, over at Fantasy Alarm. You guys do a lot of live streams. Of course, I participate with uh, Howard Bender on several as well. And uh, stay safe out there. I hope you and, and all of your family members are certainly okay. And we look forward to catching up with you again as we get closer to the season starting, okay? Yeah, man. Same to you, Craig. Hope everyone is doing well and always uh, good talking sports with you. Awesome. Yeah. I wish there was baseball. Maybe we'll uh, maybe hopefully we'll on that in a week or two. Hopefully so. All right. That's Adam Ronis uh, from Fantasy Alarm. We got plenty more to come, though, right here on Sports Grid. Joe Pizzapia will jump me back in that. Will jump with me back in the house as we hit on some NFL odds, some futures odds, some over unders, everything that you could possibly ask for here on this Monday. Back with more fantasy sports today on Sports Grid after this quick timeout. Joe joins me once again. Don't go away. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.